a podcast featuring ordinary men of extraordinary faith. This is Mana. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Mana, a podcast featuring ordinary men of extraordinary faith. I'm your host, Jeff Peterson. Now, none of the guys uh, that you're going to meet on this podcast would consider themselves to be extraordinary, but it's their humble, holy way of living. It's exactly what makes them extra to me, and I am very excited for you to meet them. Uh, now, I go to great lengths here on MANA to reassure all of us that, uh, that you know, we don't need to be uh, quoting scripture every day to be holy, uh, but today's guest reminded me of one of my favorite Bible passages, um, which I had to look up uh, to get it right here, uh, but it's from Ephesians 4.11. That's the one you'll totally recognize this one. It goes, uh, and it was Christ who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to equip the saints for work of ministry. And here it comes, wait for it, to build up the body of Christ. And it's that last part that I love the most. Uh, you know, we've we've all been blessed with gifts from God, and we are, you know, we're doubly blessed uh, when we know what those gifts are. Uh, but I but I think we are we're infinitely blessed when we are uh, able to fulfill that last part of that passage and use those gifts to build up the body of Christ. So not just knowing our gifts from God but using our gifts for God. And today's guest just totally embodies that. Uh, after receiving his PhD, thank you very much, uh, in analytical chemistry at Cornell, uh, followed by a successful engineering career at Intel, and then an even more successful uh, stint as a small business entrepreneur, our guest became a certified life coach, uh, specializing in helping men become better men, better fathers, better husbands, better workers, and more by helping them become better Christians, recognizing that, you know, the maybe untapped or maybe unrecognized power of faith, uh, and very apropos of our reading from Ephesians there, in the process, building up the body of Christ. So also, uh, he's a devoted husband and father of six, uh, and he has extended his holy influence into thinking and consulting, writing, and podcasting. Uh, in fact, you can check out and like his Catholic Life Coach for Men podcast on Spotify, Google, Apple, wherever you get your podcast. Uh, and you can do that right after you like this podcast, of course. So anyway, can't wait for you to meet him. Uh, please welcome today's man of man, Mr. Michael Jaquith. Hey, Michael. Hey, Jeff, thank you so much for having me here. I am so excited. Uh, it is just so great uh, to have you on. And, and, and uh, uh, I have to say, uh, I, I loved doing a little bit of research uh, on your background. And, uh, and I loved, in particular, I love the line on your website uh, where you say, uh, you know, I'm a PhD chemist, certified life coach, and a conservative Catholic Christian. <laughs> and, and you kind of joke about how, you know, that might not seem like a, like a logical little combo there. Uh, but obviously, it's it's all come together quite well uh, for you and for others. So that's kind of where I want to start. How does, how does a guy go from being a PhD chemist to a Catholic life coach? 
You know, that's such a great question. And maybe I can introduce that by telling a couple little brief stories here. So story number one, right after I convert, I, so I'm a convert, I converted at about 22 and I get married and we have our first child and I'm like, I'm doing it. I'm walking the path. I'm on it. I figured my life out. Right. And so I'm in church one day, there's this one year old, she's screaming. And all of a sudden I find myself filled with this rage. And so I'm in the cry room. She's screaming even more. Unknownst to me, another man named Ben is watching me. Next Sunday, he comes up to me, super bold moves is Michael. Here's a flash drive. This is a list of talks that really helped me when I was struggling. Here's my card. Call me if you want lunch. And I was like, I don't know this guy's on about. I don't need help because I know what I'm doing here, right? Yeah. Totally took him up with his offer, changed my life. Story number two, little micro story here. I'm in, I'm in my big corporate job, right? And I'm doing great. I promoted, I get this group. I'm doing awesome. One year into having my own group, my boss says, Michael, we got to meet. I'm like, cool boss, what's up? He's like, your whole group wants to leave because they can't stand working for you. Oh. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? He's like, no, seriously. But if you want, if you're coachable, I'll give you another chance and I'll give you a new group and work with you to help you become better. Now, what's really cool, the stuff that I learned from both of these two people and these little stories is very, very similar. That success to life is what comes together when we become men who integrate our faith, ourselves, our personality, our, our God-given gifts, compassion and charity, and all this into ourselves. And then that transforms us in terms of what we can do for the world and for those around us. And so my, my progression was sort of this progression of saying, when I finished my corporate, well, I didn't finish, but I decided I was done with being this corporate life thing. I just, I love so much the opportunity to help other men. I had been given so many mentoring opportunities and that just lit me up to be able to say, here's a guy struggling with something and I could help him to make something bigger and more. And that was what really the fire that God lit inside me to do what I do now. That is so cool. So, so that that's those two stories are are amazing, and and I, I can totally see that connection. So, for you, how and maybe it was both, but was it more of the of kind of this calling? You know, kind of this was it the faith thing that you're like, hey, I'm a man of faith, and I want to help people, and this is now I've I've seen how wow I can use my gifts to do this, or was it the you know I want to go help people. Okay. I want to go help me. And, and I've got this, I've got this faith Christian kind of lens that I'm going to bring to it. Like, was there one that was more of a driver than the other? You know, I, I'm actually going to change that ever so slightly. I think you're giving me a little too much credit. I think it was more <laughs> like Jonah. And I was like, nope, not getting on that boat, Lord. I know the boat I want. And like Jonah, God lovingly kind of steered me over. Look, I didn't have to spend three days in the belly of whale. I'm not complaining, Lord. I'm glad I got to stay on dry ground. Let's be real clear about that. But I resisted hard. Okay. So one of the things I tell guys to do, Jeff, is if you have a big decision that you're discerning to create a big window of time to spend one-on-one, -on -one, mano a mano, with our Lord Jesus Christ himself. And you get yourself a piece of paper. And you ask him a question and you close those lips, shut that mind down and you listen. And what God told me to do, I didn't like, I didn't want to leave the corporate job. Yeah. I was being paid good money. I had great benefits. I had a retirement plan. I had a promotion pathway. All that stuff was there. And God said, I think you should leave that and go entrepreneurial. I'm like, nope, boat to Nineveh's full God. I'm going the other way. I'm going the other way. <laughs> well, he gives me another chance, nudges me along and says, consider Nineveh again. And eventually, 
for support of my fantastic wife, who is so bold about leaving all that stuff behind with six children, one more, like the last one on the way at this time, right? Yeah, She's yeah. like, yeah, you should just go ahead and dish the corporate thing. We're good. Wow. And eventually I stopped fighting. And That's as God always does, when we align our will to his will, he yeah. pours forth blessings upon us. Amen to that. Give us this day our daily bread. Daily. Just give me one more day. So so when you got into it then, because I as I told you before, we kind of started uh, you know, rolling tape, as they say. I, I just I love your focus and I just think it is so needed and and also just as someone who comes from kind of the marketing sort of branding thing, I think it's a brilliant position that you have where it's very specific and and uh and 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 compelling so when when you got into it <clears throat> the life coaching thing did you find that your focus like how how sort of sharply focused and keenly focused were you when you got into it about being you know the, the it's a you know catholic life coach you know what i mean or 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 did that sort of refine itself after you made the leap you know and now you're doing the work of coaching and then it did, did it get more specific as you went or did it start with that Catholic life coach focus? And, and then I guess, what was the response to it? You know, cause it is a fairly in the, in the whole sea of life coaching, I would have to imagine that I don't think there's a lot of guys out there like you, right? There's not a lot. And that's such a good question. And, and I have to say with conviction that from day one, I knew that if I was going to go into the life coaching, the faith had be the core of it, as it has to be the core of every part of your life, whatever you do. And it would have been so easy, Jeff, for me to be like, I'm a men's coach, parentheses, who happens to be a Christian, parentheses. But that wasn't who I am. And honestly, that would have been disintegritous, like this would have been disauthentic to my own journey here. My faith formed the cornerstone of my ability to escape the ridiculously traumatic, abusive upbringing from my own childhood, the addiction that I had suffered, we know, shortly after, before and after being married to pornography, like all of that would have crushed me if not for my faith. And the reality is the divine physician, our Lord Jesus himself, is the most powerful force of healing in the world. And to my mind, I would have been foolish to not base everything on the most bestest healing force that I know of. And so I think part of it for me also is I think there's a shock for people that are used to, I'll say, secular life coaching and channel the energy of the universe and all this woo stuff, right? And there's a, there's a dozen, there's hundreds of those out there. And, and let's be honest, if you look at men versus women, there's way more coaches for women than for men. Mm-hmm. And so I totally did kind of throw myself into a spot that's not got a lot of attention historically. But from day one, I knew it. Like, I would not be here today if not for my faith. And I will work with any guy who says, points up and says, Jesus Christ is Lord, and I will submit myself to him as best I can. Look, we all have bumps, sure. but that's the direction I'm pointing. Yeah. So so when was, when did it happen? So uh, coaching aside, what was your own sort of faith journey like? You know, it sounds like it, it, it may be, wasn't something that was necessarily a part of your early life or, 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 or that your, you know, upbringing maybe didn't, you know, lend itself to it. Tell us a little bit about how just, again, irrespective of the coaching, just your own personal uh, path towards Christ. You know, it's, it was a rough start. So I was born in Northern Michigan to a 
a pretty abusive family, um, physically, verbally, and ultimately sexually. And when I was in sixth grade, my dad went to jail for 10 years. And I was an angry, angry boy at this point. Mm. And both my mom and dad claimed to be Protestant. And I think that was almost worse because when someone really hurts you who claims to be of the faith, it leaves a deep scar that you associate with the faith. Mm. And so I abandoned all of it. I said, nuts to this. I'm going to go chase, go chase the church of hedonism. I didn't know the word at the time, but every pleasure I could find, I chased. Now, I wasn't very good at it. Let's be clear. I was a nerd. <laughs> like the girls did not line up for me at the door at all. But oh, I chased it. Alcohol, pornography, when I could chase a girl down. But I did that for over a decade. And, you know, there's a feeling you get where no matter how much of the world you get, you can't fill a God-sized hole in your heart. And I yeah. fought it hard. And so when I was in ninth grade, I met a man named Paul. Very ironic. Didn't think about it that way at the time. And <laughs> Paul began a 12-year relationship with me where I slowly, bit by bit, gave up on my fight to push against God. Now, a lot of guys tell me, oh, I took four years to convert to the faith. I took six years. I mean, guys, you got nothing. I took 12. Like, I'm, I, I fought it hard, right? Yeah. However, in the 12th year, Paul says to me, you know, I've noticed you kind of stopped arguing and are now just asking questions. And I said, yeah, you're right. And that's when I surrendered. And I, I said, finally, that's it. I've tried it my way. I tried it the way of the world. It did not deliver the promises that Satan made. It did not deliver the peace and the contentment, and the fullness. And so I converted and I joined the church and said, hooray, everything's done. All my problems are solved, right? <laughs> no, <laughs> that was the beginning. And right. so then I'd learned what it meant to live as a Christian man, to daily surrender my will, to get married and realize that my wife doesn't want to be intimate with me in a certain situation. And I'm like, dude, I got married for that, right? No, that's not what God calls me as a husband to be. Yeah. To realize that, oh, I got, I'm Christian now so that God should just like pave the way in front of me with golden bricks, right? So everything works and my job is flawless. Nope, yeah. that's not what God called us to either. Yeah. And that surrender and eventually, in fact, re-engaging with my father, learning to forgive him, not through my own power, which would never have happened, but through the grace of God, through hours and hours spent prayerfully with God, connecting to God and allowing his grace to flow through me, to allow me to forgive my father, to allow me to forgive my mother for what had happened when I was a child. That was a, a part of my healing that I don't believe would have been possible without the faith. I don't think I could have forgiven them without yeah. God's grace. Well, part of your, yeah, oh, obviously, um, part of your healing, but also then as all of this comes together, nothing's a coincidence. As you look at now your vocation as, as not only a husband but and father, but now as this uh, life coach and helping other men, I mean, it's you got you gotta you gotta you gotta think that all of those trials, all of those experiences, um, are coming in pretty handy now when you're when you're helping other men, and maybe they they haven't walked exactly the same kind of path, but I mean, the empathy, I mean, you must, you must be so blessed, uh, and, and your clients must be so blessed to have somebody like you who can really connect at not just the intellectual level, not just even the spiritual level where you can like, you know, rattle off a bunch of scripture to help, you know, maybe, you know, make the pain go away. But I mean, you've lived so much that, you know, are you able to 
that 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 must help in 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 building trust and and helping these guys that are your clients kind of get through whatever they're going through. You know, it certainly is true. Like it's it's hard sometimes to hold that in perspective that God brings good out of everything that He allows to happen is a hard concept to hold on to. But I think a really practical way this comes up a lot. And Jeff, I think one of the biggest epidemics in men right now is shame. And so many men, probably almost all of us, suffer from this excess of shame. And here's how I define shame. Guilt is I know I did something wrong. I need to go make it right. And then the guilt is gone. Shame is because of what I did, something becomes different about who I am. And shame becomes about an identity piece. And I have lived deep, deep shame through much of my life because of what my father did, because of how that evolved. And I was in a small town that everyone knew high school. I was ridiculed and made fun of for that. Like I have lived the shame walk. And when I encounter guys that are struggling with something, maybe a guy is addicted to pornography. Maybe he's addicted to anger, whatever. When I, when I encounter them there and that shame starts to surface, I can create space for that because I've been there and I know what shame is like. And shame is utterly toxic because when we give in to shame, it creates what I call the shame cycle, where I do something I'm not proud of. I feel ashamed. That emotional pain of shame is too difficult to, to live in. So I go to the only comfort I know, which is the thing I'm also deeply ashamed of. And the cycle gets worse and worse. Mm-hmm. And so you're absolutely right that it, God, in his goodness, has allowed this experience, these experiences of mine to be used for good in this connection but everybody has this. Everybody has something they're ashamed of, some deep thing. They all think, if only you knew this about me, you couldn't love me. Yeah. That's yeah. universal. How, yeah, no, and, and how, and your own experience obviously gives you a head start. But, you know, we talk a lot on Mana, and Mana was actually, you know, kind of um, born from this sort of informal thesis that, you know, guys are kind of hard to crack, you know, like it's, it's kind of hard to actually get guys to open up and, and maybe just by listening to, you know, other guys talk about, you know, deep stuff like faith or, you know, marriage or whatever, that maybe we'll all get better at it. How did you early on, especially, how did you find the receptivity of men? Um, even before you get to, the Christian and the faith traditions, but just men, like, like, were you, were you, um, pleasantly surprised that actually, shoot, guys open up just as much as anybody can. They just need to be asked or, or did you have to develop, you know, some, some, some skills, some muscle to, to actually help men open up, you know, to receive that, you know, kind of healing, uh, that, that you're, that you're obviously providing so well. You know, I, I think this is something that every guy struggles with today. I was so bad at this. I used to say for decades, I don't have feelings. I'm a robot. What are you talking <laughs> about? Like maybe anger and then maybe lust. I can yeah. admit to those two feelings, right? Sure. That's it. And that is so common. And, and the truth is, I think the way that men are today being called to confront our own emotions that we've been hitherto forced shoving into garbage disposals until that bottom in the garbage disposal blows up and the goo leaks all over the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. When we finally give in and look at those is because we're in so much pain in the rest of our life that we can't not. And we finally meet one person who says, I see that and I see you and there's a way to make that better. And, and as soon as a guy believes that, 
he'll start opening up. But otherwise it is hard. It is so hard. And part of it is because guys don't have a role model. Like look at secular culture. You can choose Homer Simpson. That guy's not opening up. Or you can choose Indian Jones. What does he have to talk about this negative? The guy gets everything he wants. Everything's perfect and flawless. Okay, maybe a boulder chases you, but you know what? He still scores (laughs) the chick and gets the gold, right? Where's the male role model of a man who's in touch with his emotions and powerful because he is? It doesn't exist. So who, who, so to that end, who were yours? Was it the guy who, you know, turned you on to the, to the, um, the, with the jump drive and, and the, and, and the speaking or, or the boss that said, Hey, let me, you know, <laughs> nobody likes working for you. So let me help you out. Like who are some of the men in your life that were role models for you? You know, I, I think that this is not a one and done kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, ben certainly was a very powerful with that. And he, even at work, Gary, with a really powerful way of showing how to empathize with your coworkers can build that connection that's needed for a successful team and how to, in order to empathize, you have to know a little bit about your own emotions. But yeah. I've had multiple older men that I have turned to the other day, just a short story there. We're at a campfire, we're camping, and there's a guy probably about 15 years older than me. And one of my kids who's entering teenage delights, I said, look, you know, here's what's going on with this kiddo. You know, I'm just looking for some advice. Like, is this normal? He just looks at me and bursts out laughing. He's like, oh, Michael, you think you're in it? That's just the start. He goes through and kind of lays out, here's what's coming. Here's how you hold on to yourself. Be present with the kiddo. As the hormones start to whirl, as the desires flare, here's what you've got to be emotionally present with them to see it. And actually, I just had a chance to do this a few days ago. They were spiraling. I gave up to her and I just held over the hug and said, I see you and I love you. And my own emotional connection pulled her out of that spiral and let her finally give in and hug me back. But this is an ongoing challenge. Like, guys, we don't know how to connect our emotions very well. We don't know how to let our wives feel our emotional presence, to let our children see our struggles up and down. We unfortunately just lost a dog here a few days ago, and she was a cute little puppy. And I, after burying her, I had all the children gathered around. My wife was actually traveling. And we said prayers, and I offered each child the chance to say a prayer over the grave of this dog. And as we're doing it, every person, myself included, is sobbing. And this, I I looked at that moment and while I was so sad afterwards, I said, wow, what an amazing connection. The girls and the boys saw it's okay that dad cries. There's an emotional connection there. That's so powerful. And to allow myself to do that 10 years ago, you would never see a wet, wet eyelid on me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's just beautiful. Well, I love the growth, uh, you know, obviously for your, for your clients, for you, I just think it's such a great exam. And I love how you answered the question about role models. It's like, you know what, they're still coming, you know, like the role model, it's not like you had, you know, two when you were 18 and that's it. They're like cast in stone. It's like, as we grow, we, we are blessed to be continually influenced. Um, I got one more question before we kind of get to the last, the last uh, segment and, and I'll, I'll give you a fair warning. It might be a little bit of a zinger, but I love your positioning, as I mentioned earlier about being a Catholic life coach for men. I just think that's, it's so wonderful. It's so needed on so many levels, but here's the, here's the question. And we're going to have a little fun with this. You know, if you take Catholic life coach for men, there's two, there's at least two different ways you could, you could read that, uh, depending on where you put the, the emphasis, you know, the emphasis on whatever syllable here. So I'm going to give you two, um, uh, I'm going to give you two versions of Catholic life coach for men. 
And I just kind of want to throw them out there and have you kind of react and, and tell me which of the two uh, you resonate with, and maybe it's both. So the first is that you're that you are a Catholic life coach who happens to work with men. So you're a Catholic life coach for men, mm-hmm. or you are a Catholic life coach for men. So there's a little bit of a difference there, a little bit of a tilt. I don't mean to get too precious here with my wordplay. But of those two uh, scenarios or two sort of interpretations of your, of your, uh, you know, your brand, if you will, which of those two do you feel is more representative of, of the calling that you've chosen here? I love that you're going. I love this placefulness. And while I will say that I do get slightly more drawn towards the first, it wasn't lost on me of the possibility of the second. And so I love there's a challenge built into there. And I'm going to expand more on the first and second. But one of the things I think men today need is a challenge. So often in life, we are given spoon fed what we need, the minimum, and we don't rise up and we don't fight. And I think there's a little bit of a challenge to people that says, how are you living your life? And I will be honest, I do have more Catholic clients than Protestants, but the second number is not zero. And the reason why is because I actually resonate with that first interpretation. And I say that I I am a Catholic life coach. And the reason I say it that way is if I start off defining who I am as anything other than my position in the faith, then I do a disservice to God. Mm -hmm. Because if not but for God, I would not be here. And so... I'm like, I'm not going to fool anybody here. Like Mm. I'm a Catholic Christian man. This is who I am. If you're a Protestant who says, I believe all Catholics are, you know, totally wrong and can't work with them. Okay. I respect that. It's your perspective, but that means you probably won't want to work with me. But if you're a Protestant guy who says, I believe that Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ is the savior of humanity and that he alone holds the secret to all that is good. Hey, we hail the same Lord and I will work with you, but I don't want him to be confused about who I am and what I am. Because I have struggled, much of my growth, much of my struggle to be, what am, how do I live a Catholic man? How do I become a Christian man? Is who am I first? And we, first off, are human beings. And men so often like to look at the doings that we forget. We must first learn to be. In probably my least favorite gospel story, when Martha's doing the work and Mary's sitting there at the feet of Jesus, I'm Martha, okay? Just so everyone knows, full confession, I'm 100% Martha, all right? I'm like... I feel the injustice every time I read that. So I'm like, Lord, what are you talking about? Come on. This one's obvious. She's working hard. She deserves the gold medal here, right? <laughs> but Mary is demonstrating how to be a human being, to yeah. be in the presence of God. And I still struggle with that, but I will not ignore what our Lord said to Martha. Yeah. That's beautiful. I love that. Oh my gosh, we could talk all darn day. Uh, but in, in in service of our listeners here, who might have something else to do, we're gonna we're gonna segue here to the fun segment here. Although this was all great fun here, so uh, fun segment. We ask the same three questions uh, of every guest, uh, and uh, just see what they have to say. So, fun segment question number one: If Jesus knocked on your door tomorrow morning and just wanted to hang out for the day, what are you going to do with Jesus? It's hunting season. We're going elk hunting. <laughs> My favorite activity by far. I'm going to take Jesus up there. We're going to hike the mountains. We're looking out of the mountains. I'm going to say, Lord, I don't know how you designed this skyscape this beautiful, but oh my gosh, your beauty is amazing. And if he happens to bless with an elk, because if you're hunting with the son of God, you got to be successful, right? For sure. I'm going to be like, Lord, 
your creation is amazing. Thank you for this beautiful animal. I, I just get almost teared up thinking about that. That's awesome. I love that. I love that so much. All right. Fun segment question. Uh, number two, if you could go to church, if you go to mass with any other man, uh, living or dead, famous or not, uh, the only rule is you got to go to, you, you're going to mass and you're going with a guy who are you going to go to church with? John Maxwell. That man is like one of my heroes. And so I, I think when I first struggled with understanding how to connect to people, like I'm a super type A personality. I am so abrasive and I'm so self-justified and so self-righteous because I'm always right. I mean, I'm not learning, <laughs> but I kind of am. And so I remember reading John Maxwell's Winning with People. Mm. And that man reached down into my heart through that book and grabbed it and pulled it up and said, see, this doesn't work. And I would love just sit with that man and hear his wisdom to attend church with him, to praise God with him together, and just to thank him for the profound difference he's made in my life. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's, that's awesome. I love that. All right. Um, last question, fun segment question number three. Uh, if you could give uh, a piece of advice, and so you're coaching, you're a little bit of a ringer on this one, uh, but you're, but the challenge will be you got to take whatever advice you've been giving and now you got to back it up probably 30 or 40 years because you're going to give one piece of advice to a younger man about living a life of confident uh, faith, courageous faith. Um, what would that one piece of advice be? This one's kind of a tough one because there's so much I would like to tell young Michael who is quite bluntly so foolish, so, so foolish. But I think what I would say to him is you will never get what your heart desires the most if you aren't willing to surrender everything to our Lord. And everything means everything. Like not most things, not everything but sex, everything. Yeah. So true. He, he didn't say uh, you can do all the good things or you can't, uh, what was the passage? You, you, you can do nothing without me or you can all, right. all things, whatever that is. See there, I just hacked that verse too, but I think we, you know, but it is, it's all or nothing. It's, it's you're either in or out. So I think that's great advice. Well, uh, Michael Jaquith, I, I honestly, I, I'm a little bit speechless. And for those that have listened to this podcast, know that I'm never really a loss for words. <laughs> I end up going on sometimes, but I, I, I am so grateful uh, to have met you. I'm so grateful that you are on this, uh, on this planet doing the work that you're doing and that the listeners of Vanna have now been introduced to you. So, so listeners of Vanna, just as a reminder, uh, uh, Michael Jaquith, the podcast is called the Catholic Life Coach for Men, and you can get it on um, every major platform out there, I really encourage you to, uh, to listen more and, uh, and, and, and draw out. And I'm sure all the women that are listening to Mana, you are welcome to tune in to Michael's podcast as well. So thanks again, Michael. It was great to meet you. And thanks so much for doing, doing your work and, and doing God's work and building up the kingdom. Jeff, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure here. And I want to thank you for the great, awesome work you do because we need heroes. We need role models, especially as men. And what you do here creates exactly that. Thank you for listening to MANA. If you have any questions or recommendations for future guests, send them to manapodcast at gmail.com.